Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, as Jason's already read for us. So we've been talking the last few weeks regarding lessons we can glean from Elijah. So be turning your Bibles with me over to 1 Kings, 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 19 in just a few moments. 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's take a, just a few minutes and review the things we've talked about from chapters 17 and 18 so far. As we review the story about the things that occurred to Elijah here, the, the, the very first time that we read about him in chapter 17, and we notice that there is a price to pay for being a child of God, being a servant of God. And we notice here that as Elijah lived in the wilderness and, and there was this great famine and, and he was sent to live then with a widow. We noticed also about the hundred prophets that were kept safe from Jezebel and that they lived also in caves and they, they lived off of bread and water. There was a price to pay. Then we also talked about the fact that God uses people who are strong in faith. faith. And we talked about the widow. And things had got so bad during the time of the famine that... that um, that she was just going to make uh, a little bit of bread, and then she was going to die. Her and her son were going to die. But God sends Elijah to her and gives her the command to make him something to eat and that the, the oil and the flour would never run out, and they didn't. And Jesus uses her as an example that there were many widows in Israel, but Elijah was sent somewhere else to one who was not an Israelite, to a Gentile. Then we talked about the fact that God asks us sometimes to do things that are difficult and challenging. That God sent Elijah to Ahab and, and, and he was being sought for years so that he could be killed with all of the prophets. And Elijah sends Obadiah to Ahab to say that he's found Elijah and Obadiah feared for his life. These were difficult and challenging things that God asked them to do. Then we talked about the fact that we must stand up for the truth. We noticed that Ahab falsely accused Elijah. And he blamed the problems in Israel on Elijah. And Elijah stood up to him. He stood up for the truth and he stood up for himself and he rebuked Ahab. Then we talked about the fact that we must challenge false prophets and false teachers and false religions. That... Elijah challenged Ahab, then he challenged the people, then he challenged 850 prophets. And you remember that challenge that he got the 450 prophets of Baal? And he said, you make an altar and you put a sacrifice upon it and you call upon your God to come and, and to light the wood with the fire and there was no answer. And then Elijah very humbly called upon the God of heaven and he sent fire down from heaven and the wood was put a lit. And the wood was consumed, and the sacrifice was consumed, and even the dust and the water that was poured upon it, they were all consumed by the fire. The people saw these things and how foolish these other prophets were. And they saw the power of Jehovah, Jehovah and they glorified God as Lord. Then we finally talked about Elijah as he demonstrates the power and effectiveness of prayer. And that by the word of God, he prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then by the word of God, again, he prayed and it rained. And this showed all that Jehovah is the God of heaven. Now, as we continue with these series of events, we come to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2 as we start. And then we'll read all of the, 
uh, most of the chapter in just a moment. But now Ahab tells these things to Jezebel, his wife, the queen. And, uh, and she is very angry that these things had happened and that Elijah had put to death 850 prophets. And so now she threatens Elijah. Read with me. Follow along. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And so now Jezebel threatens Elijah. That within 24 hours, as you have put to death these prophets, I'm going to have you put to death. And if that doesn't happen, so may it be to me. Now turn over with me to 2 Kings chapter 9 for just a second. And, and I want us to notice that in a way, what she said came true. That Elijah was not put to death in 24 hours. And she did die a terrible, horrible death. As a matter of fact, as had been prophesied by Elijah just a little bit later in 1 Kings chapter 21. We won't read that right now. And Elijah had prophesied before he died that the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. That was the prophecy. Now in 2 Kings chapter 9... Read it with me. Follow along with me beginning in verse 30. We're going to see that this happened. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. Now here comes the fellow who had just, who had just conquered her nation. And he's coming about, and he looks up, and he sees now that she had painted herself all up. And adorned herself. Now her husband's already been put to death. Verse 31. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? Then he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three officials looked down at him. He said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. So here she is up in the window, and some of the officials are there. And Jehu says, who's on my side? A few of them looked down. He said, throw her down, and they did. Now he was still on his chariot, and there were the horses there. Some of the blood went on the wall, some on the horses, and she was trampled underfoot. Now verse 34. When he came in, he ate and drank, and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. So it had been a while now. She had been thrown down. Her blood had been splattered. She had been trampled underfoot. He comes in, he eats and he drinks, and he says, Now y'all go take care of her, because she is a king's daughter. Verse 35, they went to bury her. But they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they returned and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the property of Jezreel the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. 
And the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel, so they cannot say, this is Jezebel. Didn't even know who it was anymore. Couldn't even recognize who it was anymore. So now we see that this enemy of God, Jezebel, we'll talk about her just from, in a few minutes from the New Testament, that she threatened Elijah in an, an attempt to stop him. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3. I want us to realize that we are going to be threatened by the enemies of the cross and we're going to have to, to put up with this. We're going to have to contend with this. Those who are against God want to stop God's people. And so oftentimes they use threats to do this hoping to scare us away, hoping that we'll be afraid, hoping to stop us, and we're going to have to contend with this. Now notice, in Philippians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 17, hear the Apostle Paul. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is something Paul was talking a lot about. He had told them many times, and now he is weeping. Brethren, this is something we need to tell each other about often. We need to remind each other about this. And we need to do so weeping and tearfully that they are enemies of the cross, and we must contend with them. Verse 19, whose end is destruction. Now, in just a moment, I want you to remember that because... We're going to be talking about Jezebel from the book of Revelation. And we're going to be talking about the end of those who are modern-day Jezebels and those who are following after these teachings. And the end is destruction, and this was the end of Jezebel. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. We are going to have people threaten us. We're going to have people say all sorts of things about us, all trying to stop us as God's children from doing those things he would have us to do. Some descriptions of these individuals, besides that which we've already read from verse 19. In Romans 1.18, they are men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In Romans 1.25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, they are men of depraved minds, deprived of the truth, who suppress that godliness that, uh, uh, that they are fighting against. So we must contend with these enemies of the cross. Turn your Bibles with me now over to Revelation chapter 20. And now Jesus, through John in the Revelation, is talking about these false teachers who were there and refers to them as being Jezebel. Jezebel is prototypical of the enemies of God, the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the cross, the enemies of the church. She is prototypical of this. And she's referred to then in such a way in our New Testaments. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, here Jesus speaking to the church in Thyatira through John as he is writing these things. Verse 20, but I have this against you. This is the problems that they were having to deal with there. 
that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, this is not a literal Jezebel. But this is those who are false teachers who are doing the same that Jezebel was doing. We'll, we'll go back to 1 Kings in just a second and notice what she was doing and how that is so much like false teachers today who are against God and the church. It says, I have a, this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads, leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things offered, sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Remember that destruction we talked about. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of, of her deeds. And so she was there, prototypical of these false teachers, and the problem with the church there, they were tolerating this. They were tolerating the enemies of the Christ uh, of the cross, and they should not have been doing that. And so he's going to throw her, the, those false teachers, into the, 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 the sickbed, and also those who are following after her in her deeds. Verse 23, And I will kill her children, with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching. And so we cannot tolerate this. We cannot hold these teachings. We must contend with these Jezebels, modern-day Jezebels. Turn your Bibles with me over to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. And I want us to notice what is said here about Jezebel and her husband, King Ahab. And exactly what she was doing. Verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. Remember, this is just after the prophecy of what's going to happen to her and her destruction, the end that was going to come to her. And now verse 25, surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. Jezebel, modern day Jezebels incite people. They incite people to do evil against God. They incite people to immorality. And Ahab sold himself into sin. And those who put up and tolerate and follow after the doctrines of modern day Jezebels sell themselves to sin and to the devil. We must contend with the modern day Jezebels. Those who are teaching lies, those who are teaching evil, those who are teaching false doctrines, we must contend with them. Turn your Bibles with me over to Acts chapter 13. I want us to look at a, an example in the, in the life in, uh, of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 13. And, and here is one who is called Elimus. And he was a false teacher. He was a modern day Jezebel during the life of the Apostle Paul. 1 Kings chapter 13 and let's begin in verse 8. But Elimus the magician, so here's a magician. He's using 
his, his magic tricks to try to deceive people, very much like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 he had done before becoming a Christian. But Elimus the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, that's Paul and those teaching the truth there, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You are full of all deceit and fraud. Notice what he says. You son of the devil. You enemy of all unrighteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? So this was the modern day Jezebel. He was using magic tricks to try to lead people away from God, to deceive them, to teach error, to teach lies, so that this man, the proconsul, would not believe and would not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a son of a dev the devil. He was the enemy of righteousness, and he was making the straight paths of God. He was making them crooked so that those who believed him would not understand the truth and would not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had to contend with him and with his teaching. Turn over to me, with me uh, to Galatians chapter 4. And I want us to realize that these enemies of the cross, that they consider themselves to be our enemies. Now, we don't want to be enemies with anyone. We want to live at peace with everyone. But those who are enemies of the cross will consider themselves to be our enemies as we are teaching the truth of God. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. Jumping in the, the middle of things here, Paul in writing to the Galatians, and they had turned aside. They had turned aside to the false teaching of, of uh, many there that you had to be circumcised and keep the law. And so now he is teaching the truth to them, and he says this, verse 16. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That there were some there who thought that Paul was now their enemy. And Paul says, am I your enemy just because I'm telling you the truth? When we speak the truth, there are going to be people who consider us to be an enemy. Now, we don't want it that way. We wish it was not that way. But we don't have a choice about that. It's the decision other, people's make, other people make. Elimus considered Paul to be an enemy. Jezebel considered others to be enemies and did her best to kill all the prophets and to threaten Elijah just to try to get him to stop what he was doing. Remember James chapter 4, verse 4. Whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Whoever wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy with God. Well, brethren, they're going to make themselves an enemy with us too because we are God's children. And remember John chapter 3, verse 20, that evil hates the light, that evil does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And so we are lights into the world teaching and living the gospel of Jesus Christ. So unfortunately, there are some people out there that are going to consider us to be their enemies. Let's notice our responsibility. Go with me over to Jude, the book of Jude, just one book before the book of Revelation, the next to last book in the Bible, to Jude. And there are many scriptures we could look at, but I want us to just look at one of them, and we'll mention a few others. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. 
Remember that Jude is writing, warning against, and telling about the false teachers and false prophets, in other words, the modern-day Jezebels. And he says this, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered down to the saints for, verse number four, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, modern day Jezebels of the first century, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and die, deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They were contending with the enemies of the cross. They were contending with the modern-day Jezebels. And he wrote them, pleading with them, asking them to contend earnestly for the faith. And brethren, that is our responsibility also. We are going to be threatened by these enemies. They're going to try to stop us. They're going to do whatever they can do to stop us just like Jezebel did to Elijah. And our responsibility is to stand up to these enemies of the cross, to contend earnestly for the faith. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Jesus knew we were going to have to deal with this. He said, bless, that we're blessed when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. That we're blessed when people insult us and they persecute us. That we are blessed when people falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of Jesus. Jesus knew we are going to have to deal with this. But he says rejoice and be glad because our reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets. Jesus is saying just as they did to the prophets they are going to do to you. Just as the prophets had to stand up and deal with it so are you. Just as the prophets were persecuted because of that, so you will be. And just as they were rewarded, so you will be rewarded also. Remember Ephesians 5 verses 11 through 13. Our job is to expose darkness and to speak out, not to be silenced, just as Elijah did in contending with the 850 prophets. And remember 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. Fight against the enemies of the cross as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And remember 2 Timothy 3.12 that all those who wish to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why? Because we're standing up. Because we're contending for the truth. We're not silenced living in obscure lives hidden from the world. If that were true there would be no persecution. We're standing up for what is right. The enemies of the cross they will threaten us and they will attempt to stop us they want to scare us and use peer pressure, but we stand up against them and take courage from God. We speak the truth in love and do God's will, and as a result, we'll, we are blessed, just as all those who lived before us who did the same thing. Now turn your Bibles back over with me to 1 Kings in chapter 19. So here we see that Elijah has been threatened and I don't want to be too, too rough on Elijah. 
Because I can only imagine being in his shoes, dealing with the same things, how difficult it could be. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 18 in just a moment, but, but let me remind you a little bit of the background here. Elijah, after being threatened, goes and hides himself in a cave. Now remember, he has just performed by the word of God this great miracle. The fire came down out of heaven and, and took the sacrifice and the altar and the dust and, and, and the water and all of that. And he's just slain 850 prophets by the power of God. Now this one person who's very powerful, this one person who, who at her own command had almost all the prophets of Israel martyred, slain, murdered. Now this one person makes a threat and he goes off and hides in a cave. Now, there are some big lessons for us to learn. We'll talk about that in just a moment. God talks to Elijah, and he passes before him as he is on a mountain and in this cave. Elijah, one of the big problems here, he incorrectly assumes that he's the only one left in Israel. And God sets him straight and says, look, Elijah, i got 7,000 there. 7,000. You think you're the only one? I've got 7,000 who have not denied me. So God sends Elijah to anoint uh, Hazael, king over Aram, and Jehu, king over Israel. And Elijah is prophet to take his place. And Elijah takes courage, and he goes out and he does the will of God, but he needed encouragement to do that. There are a lot of lessons. We're going to talk about that, but before we do, Jason Rodriguez is going to come forward up here to the podium. He's going to, he's going to read the first Kings chapter 19 verses 1 through 18. And I, I invite you all to follow along as he does that. First Kings chapter 19 verses 1 through 18. <clears throat> now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, and eat. And then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him, Go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Thank you, Jason. As you read through there, does it seem like Elijah just sort of gave up? So it sort of seems that way. You know, he'd done all these things, and 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 the miracle of the sacrifice, and 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 all that with the fire, and the killing of the prophets, and he gets this threat, and he just he's going to lay down and die. You know, just enough, just enough. And the Lord tries to encourage him to get him up and to get him going again. He says, "Look, I've been zealous all this time, and, and you know, it's just enough. I'm just weary. I'm just tired. I'm just I just had enough." And so finally the Lord encouraged him even more, and, and finally he did go, and he did do. But, but I think there are great lessons that, that we can learn, and, and maybe all of us would have done the exact same thing. Maybe we couldn't have kept going just as long as he did, but yet there are good lessons for us to learn here, to be encouraged. You know, we, we have things that, that Elijah didn't have. You know, we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have New Testament revelation. We have things and we know things that even angels wanted to look in and they were forbidden. Such things that the church of Christ had proclaimed to those who are principalities and powers in the heavenly places. In one way, we should be stronger than Elijah. You know, Paul talks about those with miracles in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They were looking for something better. And we have that which is better today. So in a sense, we should learn and we should be stronger today. I think some lessons that we, that we, we, we should learn is that we shouldn't run away and hide. We don't need to feel sorry for ourselves when Christ's enemies try to stop us. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life and he just wanted to lay down and he wanted to die. Remember what we've talked about throughout this lesson. There's a price to pay in serving God. That God uses those who are strong in faith. That, that God does ask us to do difficult and challenging things. And we must stand up for the truth and for ourselves. And we must challenge false prophets, false teachers, false religions. And the effect effectiveness of prayer. We shouldn't run away and we shouldn't hide. We may be afraid but we still got to stand up. If Christ's enemies succeed in silencing us, they have won the battle. Won the battle against us personally, but God, he's always going to win. But they have won the battle against us. And we can't let that happen. 
Remember Mordecai to Esther. And uh, there had been a decree sent out through all of the land that the Jews were to be annihilated off the face of the earth, basically. And Esther had this opportunity to go to the king and inform him of what's going on and possibly save the children of Israel. And she was afraid to do that. And Mordecai encourages her, Esther, how do you know that you've not come to this whole time in life, this whole point in life to do this one thing? And he says, you know, God is going to succeed. That, that Israel is going to be saved because, because it's the will of God and it's in his word and his prophecy. But woe be to you. Woe be to you if you do not have your part in it. And brethren, woe be to us. God is going to win the battle. But if we allow ourselves to be silenced and to sit idly by and to just hide in a corner somewhere, God is still going to win, but woe be to us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He, he learned the lesson not to run away, not to hide, not to lay down and die, and we need to learn the lesson too. Stand up. Another lesson I think we should learn is, is that we shouldn't underestimate God. Elijah, Elijah thought that he was the only righteous person left in Israel, and he was ready to die rather than fight. And God said, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got a lot more. Elijah had concocted something in his mind. He was relying just on his own thinking and his own logic and he was wrong and he was discouraged because he was wrong. <laughs> and don't we do the same thing? Aren't we discouraged sometimes? Because we make up things in our mind and we think we've got it all figured out and how bad things really are and they're really not that bad. We're just ignorant of some things. We don't know everything. Remember that God can do anything. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. As God's children, we can do everything he sets forth. Everything he sets forth. Ephesians chapter 6.10, we're strong in the strength of his might as we put on the armor of God. Isaiah 55, 11, God's word does not return to him void. It always accomplishes the will of God. And Romans chapter 8, verse, verses 28 and 37, God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord. And we overwhelmingly conquer. We've talked about that. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, fight the good fight to the very end. Don't stop and don't give up for one second. Remember David, King David's defeat over Goliath. If you can just remember, think about, picture in your mind the little boy, David, going up against the mighty giant. And he was so small he couldn't even put on adult armor. And so he goes out dressed as a shepherd and has his slings and five little stones. And he runs to the battle line. He knew the victory was sure because God had said it. All the others in Israel and all the mighty men of war, they were all afraid and they had all given up. But the little boy shows them the right way. And you'll remember he kills the giant and then they defeat the Philistines that day. We will overwhelmingly conquer. What are some of the areas in which 
What are some of the areas in which we're prone to underestimate God? Maybe in prayer and healing for the sick. Maybe in guiding and directing us in our lives. Maybe working in the world and to bring about his will. Maybe in efforts of evangelism. We underestimate God. And we shouldn't do that. We should never underestimate him. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He learned not to underestimate God. And we need to learn the same thing. Also, I believe we can learn from this that we should not pay homage to pagan deities or false religions. And I think this is a big lesson for us to learn. Remember in the first Kings chapter 19 and verse 18 that God had 7,000 who had not bowed to Baal or kissed him. Now this shows us God's attitude toward these pagan deities and there are many of these today. There are many who bow, who, who bow to a statue of Buddha. When I was working in Leesburg, Florida, we had a, an international division. And those who ran that division would travel across the ocean and they would bow to these pagan deities because it was customary to do so. And by the way, you, you, you couldn't sell anything unless you did. We can never bow. We can never kiss. Many are kissing statues of leaders, denominations. We can never do that. Not one time. And we must be careful about this. When we're around people who are paying homage to these false gods, whether in their homes or the temples or their churches, when we're visiting and touring foreign lands, never pay homage. Never even to bow. Never to be respectful in any way. That's what I mean. There's some places we can't go. There's some places we can't tour. So be it. There's some temples you can go in across the world that make you take out of you, off your shoes for this, for, for, out, out of respect. Let me suggest to you, don't go in and don't take off your shoes because there should be no respect there at all. At all. Talking to people who are members of false religions. And it's so easy to say, that's good. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. We've got to watch out what we say. God did not want them to bow or to kiss or to show any respect to those of false religions. Lastly, God helps in our weaknesses because we all feel weak from time to time. We're all confronted with the enemies of the cross and they are so formidable and, and, and we feel that we are so inadequate. But God helps and God strengthens in, in many of the things we've been talking about throughout this series. God helps, but listen, we still got to go do the work. We can't feel inadequate and we can't feel down and we can't be discouraged and we can't just sit in the corner where nobody sees us. We can't do that. God will strengthen us and we still got to get out there and do it. We still have to do it just like Elijah. Well, I hope the lesson's been profitable. Continue reading. The chapters on Elijah. And I think we'll probably have another lesson on some other good things we can learn from him. We're going to extend the gospel invitation. If you get your songbook out. Number 344, who at my door is standing? Jesus is standing. Jesus is waiting. If you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus wants you to become a Christian. He wants you to be his disciple. He wants to, you to render obedience to his gospel. What must you do? Simply believing that 
He is the Christ, the Son of God, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Repent of your sins. That is a change. No longer to do those things that are wrong, but to do the things that are right that he teaches in his word. Having done that, to make your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be baptized, immersed in water, for the remission of your sins, the Lord will wash your sins away in his blood. He'll add you to his church. He'll give you this strength as his child where you can go out on the front line and you too could stand up for Jesus Christ. If we can help you all this morning, I want you to step to the front now as we stand and as we sing.